Good morning, everyone. Glad you guys are here with us today. My name is Nicole. I'm part of the teaching team here, but I live in Richmond, Virginia. I come to see you four times a year, and I come to experience the best of Michigan weather every single time. You never disappoint. It's always unusual. It's not what I expected. If you were out this morning, you know that we are actually living into the people walking in darkness um, right now in the fog. So it's perfect. It was a perfect setup for today's sermon. So I'm glad I get to be with you. And I also want to say hello to everyone at our Farmington Hills campus this morning. We're glad that we are together today. Well, here it is, guys, the Christmas season. It's a oh, oh, I, okay. Wow, you guys are lively today. Is it because of the petting zoo? Did you already go to the petting zoo? Is that, so it's the Christmas season. It's upon us. Who's, who's watched a movie already, a Christmas movie so far? Do I have any Hallmark movie fans in the room? Hallmark movies, you know, you know it's the same plot every single time. Uh, if you're feeling a little bit disconcerted in life and you just need some certainty, watch a Hallmark movie. Always going to turn out the same way. Same people usually actually in all the movies. It's fantastic. Um, I watched one last night. It filled my heart with joy. Um, we watch Christmas movies. There's a lot of Christmas movies to choose from, right? There's some good ones. There's some bad ones. There's some kind of strange ones, but we love them. We love this time of year because Christmas stories capture this idea that joy and wonder and peace and belief are worth finding. So over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at four classic Christmas movies as a framework for exploring the beauty and the importance of the incarnation. Some of our movie choices might surprise you, but we really do think that there is unexpected truth to be found in all of them. We are going to see that the real story of Christmas is God working in unexpected ways. And today, we are experiencing that journey of belief through the Polar Express. I was hoping that little bit of music would get you in the mood if you've seen this movie before. If you haven't seen this movie, movie before, that's okay. I'm going to walk you through briefly the plot. This is a story that revolves around a boy who's on the verge of losing his belief in Santa Claus and the Christmas magic, but experiences a transformative journey on the Polar Express. It was originally released as a book in 1985 but it was shot as a movie in 2004. I wanna give you three cool facts about this movie in case you didn't know them. This film is known for its use of motion capture technology, which is actual actors did all of the moves and then they translated them into animated characters, which you're gonna see very much so if you are familiar with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is the voice of five different characters in this movie, including the conductor and Santa Claus and the primary actor, the hero, Boy, and you will see his movements captured as these characters come to life. Finally, Chris Van Allsburg, who originally wrote the book, makes a cameo appearance in the movie. And he's also one, because he's the passenger on the Polar Express in the movie, and he also is the executive producer of the movie. He approved the choices that were made in the way the book was brought to life. So you might be thinking, what in the world does the Polar Express have to do with church? You might even be wondering, what in the world has happened to my church? Why is Nicole standing up here about to teach us from a movie? Which is also what I was thinking until I was willing to look a little deeper. Have you ever noticed how Christmas, more than any other time of the year, revolves around children? 
the innocence, the wonder, the joy, the belief of children surround this season. And you know what Jesus said to the adults around him who perhaps were taking everything a bit seriously? He said in Matthew chapter 8, he called a little kid to him and he put the child among them. And then Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what we want to do today and in the coming weeks is to be willing to look for the messages of Christmas all around us, most especially from a children's book about a magical night on a magical train to the North Pole. We're going to meet a few characters in the Polar Express, but before we get into those characters today, I want to give you a point that I would like for you to consider as you enter into this Christmas season, the point we're going to hear today and the one that I hope you will carry with you. And here's the point. Belief is always a journey. Belief is always a journey, meaning that where you are today on December 3rd is a different place than where you were last year or the year before that. It's what I love about seeing my kids' pictures with Santa Claus or now that I have older kids, the pictures on the stairs each Christmas Eve because we see the growth in their journey as evidenced by taking a photo on the same day year over year but what we often forget as grown-ups is that we also are on a journey. Every single one of you in this room is not in the same place that you were last year. For some of us, we might be in a better place. For others, we find ourselves in an uncertain place or a painful place. Or perhaps this place actually feels too similar to where you were last year, and that's disappointing to you. Life is always a journey, which means that the way we experience our belief, our joy, our peace, that's always on a journey as well. So I built us a little belief scale as a way to start this journey today. So take a look at this belief scale. So you're going to see on the x-axis, you have belief and doubt as on a continuum. And the y-axis, you have courage and fear as on a continuum. And what I'm going to give you as my theory today, as we look at the Polar Express, as we look at the story of Scripture, and as we think about our lives, is that every single one of us exists somewhere on this map today. And if we had given you, instead of popcorn, like a laser pointer, which we would never do, but if we had given you a laser pointer, and I gave you 30 seconds, and you decided to be ruthlessly honest, and we shot our laser pointers up at this map, we would cover the whole thing. Because part of what Christmas gives us is a chance to ask the question, where am I on my journey of belief? The Polar Express story opens with a little boy who's experiencing a crisis of belief. He's begun to gather evidence that perhaps everything that he so joyfully and fully believed up to this point in his life might not be real. Christmas is still coming for the little boy, but nothing feels the same. And then, with a rattling in his room and a light in his window, a magical train pulls up outside of his house. He goes out wondering what this could be, and this is what we see. Well, you coming? Where? Why, to the North Pole, of course! This is the Polar Express! The North Pole? I see. Hold this, please. Thank you. 
Is this you? Yeah. Well, it says here, no photo with the department store Santa this year. No letter to Santa. And you made your sister put up the milk and cookies. Mm -mm. Sounds to me like this is your crucial year. If I were you, I would think about climbing on board. Come on, come on, come on. I've got a schedule the key. Oh! Suit yourself. on our graph. Let's put him here. He's got enough doubt to not be sure what's happening and it's fear that keeps him from jumping on the train but at the last minute maybe we would move him right here to the middle. He has enough belief, enough faith, enough, enough curiosity to engage to jump on the train. Our hero boy as he's called because he has no name in this story, he's not sure who to trust and who to believe anymore. He's disillusioned with wonder. He's disappointed that everywhere he looks, he seems to find more evidence to support the idea that there's no life at the North Pole, there's no one worth believing in. After this moment when he gets on the train, the children on the train all jump over to one window because they're passing the, t the town department store where there's a beautiful Christmas display and Santa is giving gifts. But what we see through the little boy's eyes is that he focuses in on the fact that Santa in the window is really just a mechanical toy. I wonder if you can relate to the hero boy. The next stop on the train, the train goes across to the wrong side of the tracks, pulls up by a rundown house, and the next person we meet is a boy named Billy. Billy gets the same message from the conductor, gets the opportunity to jump on the train, but hesitates even longer than our hero boy. And our hero boy sees that he is trying to get on the train. He pulls an emergency brake to stop the train so that Billy can jump on. And Billy enters the train. And let's see what happens next. He did. You. In case you didn't know, that cord is for emergency purposes only. And in case you weren't aware, tonight is Christmas Eve. And in case you haven't noticed, this train is on a very tight schedule. Now, young man, Christmas may not be important to some people, but it is very important to the rest of us. But, 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 but. He was just trying to stop the train so that kid could get on. Hmm. I see. Young man, is that what happened? Well, let me remind you. We are on a very tight schedule. And I've never been late before, and I am certainly not going to be late tonight. Now, everybody, 
Billy gets on the train. Unlike our hero boy, who's experienced the wonder of Christmas in the past, but he's begun to doubt who or what might be behind it, Billy has plenty of evidence to support how he feels. He's picked up on the wrong side of the tracks, his home is run down, there's no evidence of Christmas joy as we see the house go by. It seems like the story of, Jesus, of Billy's life has him believing that there may be joy out there for someone but not for him. Perhaps that joy is only reserved for the haves in life, the one who get new toys and AirPods and iPhones under the tree. In fact, it's Billy's sad posture that makes him almost not even believe enough that he deserves a spot on the train. After those children initiated so that he could get on, he's so overwhelmed by what's wrong in life, so sure that he must be wrong, that he's lost the ability to experience when something good is happening right in front of him. He chooses instead the lonely back train. And I wonder if you can relate to Billy. Our third character you caught for just a moment is the hero girl. Let's take a look at our hero girl. It's for him. I don't think we're supposed to leave our seats. Yeah, it's a violation of railroad safety regulations for a kid to cross moving cars without a grown-up. I think he'll be okay. Are you sure? What about this lad in the back? Did he get any refreshment? Mm-mm. Well, let's take some to him, by all means. Watch your step now, watch your step. Hero Girl was on the train before our main character, so we don't know what the conductor said to her when she got on. What we do know is that she seems most at home on the train, most herself. She seems to be operating from the mindset that not only does she believe in the wonder of what's happening around her, but she wants everyone else to believe in it too, even when she has to take a risk and bring Billy, our lonely boy, a hot chocolate in the other train. Let's place the hero girl here on our map. High courage, high belief. Billy maybe believes, but his fear is holding him back. I have one more character to introduce you to in our story. Interesting about this character is that the hero boy is the only one who engages with this character. The story continues. The hero boy kind of loses hold of a ticket. He ends up outside of the train. He ends up on top of the train. Now he's on the train and it is dark and it is scary and it is snowy and it is cold and he is walking on the top of the train and he encounters a mysterious figure who's known as the hobo and he has a long conversation with the hobo on the top of the train. Let's take a look. I keep all my valuables right here. Right here in the old size 13. Experience shows this is the safest place. Not that I have much use for those tickets. Uh, I ride for free. Oh yeah, yeah. I hop aboard this rattler anytime I feels like it. I own this train. Huh? It's like I'm the king of this train. Yeah, the king 
of the Pole X. In fact, I am the king of the North Pole! I wish my man. Sit, sit. Sit, sit, sit. Take a, take a look. Hey, would you like some Joe? Nice. Hot refreshment. Perfect for a cold winter's night. time and we actually could pop all of our popcorn and do a little film study class together we could start to ask the question who do these archetypes archetypes like sort of represent and is this hobo actually what the hero boy will become if he gives in to his doubt and is the hobo boy the hobo actually a bad character or a good character because here we see him stoking the suspicions of the hero boy but sometimes stoking suspicions actually leads us to new conviction, and we know that the hobo actually gets the boy safely to where he needs to go. If there's anything about this story that I want you to know, when you take a look at where we place all of our characters on this graph, our hobo is our cynic. Not fearful, but very doubtful. But what's interesting to me as I thought about this story and the journey of belief is that no matter where these characters are on this story, they're all going to get to the North Pole. The Polar Express is still going to take them there. And I wonder for us, as we think about where we might be in the story, if we could believe that we also are on a journey and that we are headed somewhere. Each of these characters is on a journey of belief, a journey to believe in a world beyond what they can see a world of wonder, a world that they hope exists, but maybe sometimes they aren't sure. You and I are also on that same journey, like the people who've gone before us, tracing all the way back to the greatest story of all time, the story that requires our belief, the story of Jesus, God with us, a story that asks us to believe that there is a world of wonder, that there is a world that exists beyond what we can see. We heard uh, from the prophet Isaiah this morning, Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Darkness is how the story starts. As kids, the dark is scary because our greatest fears are magnified in the dark. And as adults, maybe the dark is still scary. 
Because if darkness suggests a world where no one really be, is able to see, no one is able to see each other very well, where our busyness or our selfishness keep us bumping into each other, if darkness means a world where our politics replace our love, where we condemn instead of care, where injustice is more the norm than the exception, then yes, we live in a world that knows a lot about darkness. For the young people, particularly in the room, the competition for your attention is so fierce. You've had the whole world at your fingertips and you've never known it any other way, but the world that you've been given ruthlessly and relentlessly opens you up to information and soul overload. In the same 10 seconds, you may view a graphic image from the Gaza Strip that makes you scared and sad. You may see a kid on a sailboat that you went to eighth grade camp with that makes you envious and resentful. And then it's followed by an ad for ice cream that makes you wanna eat all of your previous feelings. I know this because I looked at my daughter's Instagram feed yesterday. No wonder studies show that this generation feels cynical and disenchanted with the future and with adulthood. Some say the Polar Express is a bit dark for a children's tale, but maybe that's by design. Because if we are people who know about darkness, we can also be people who are seeking light. Because here's the thing about the Christmas story, it doesn't start with joy and angels and gifts, all good things that do happen. It starts way back long before Jesus was born. It starts back in a land of deep darkness when Isaiah says there will be a child to be born and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But just like us, just like the hero boy and the hero girl and the Billy and even Hobo, all the main characters in the Jesus birth story also had a journey to belief. I hope that you might consider reading the story for yourself each Advent season, not just hearing it in church, but reading it. Because if you do, you'll find that the backstory that we get the longest place of the longest backstory of Jesus's birth is in the book of Luke. And Luke chapter one is this long story that doesn't start with Jesus. It actually starts with John, like we heard with the Advent candle. And it starts with John's father, Zechariah. And Zechariah is the opening character in the birth story. And Zechariah was a priest. He was the serious religious. He would have served in the temple about two weeks out of the year. And then there would also be special high holy days where one priest would be picked to go in and offer incense at the altar. And this is the story that's happening. Zechariah goes into the sanctuary and an angel of the Lord appears to him and he is so scared, he's overwhelmed with fear. And the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Now I wonder if Zechariah, the serious religious, assumed that God had heard the prayers that he was offering up for the nation Israel, for the people of God. But the, but the angel goes on, Gabriel, and says, your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. See, it wasn't just Jesus coming for the people of God, it was Jesus coming for personal, personal, me, you, us. So even the most serious of the believers, the professional believers, Zechariah, he doubted. God was doing something impossible and he couldn't believe. And he said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I don't know if I could relate to more of a sentence in the Bible than the serious guy saying, can you back this up? I know you're an actual angel of God, but can you give me some evidence? How can I be sure? 
I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel dresses down Zechariah by saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Do you need, like, it's like, he's like, what, what kind of evidence are you looking for here? So he goes on and he says, but since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born for my words will be fulfilled at the proper time. Now, it can feel like Gabriel is like sort of handing down a punishment, but let's keep in mind, the prophecy and the promises are fulfilled. Zechariah gets exactly what he prayed for. His wife does get pregnant. He, they do get, she gives birth to John. All of that happens. Perhaps Zechariah needed a time of silence because when he is able to speak again, he bursts forth with this prayer of praise. This beautiful, beautiful expression that you can read in Luke chapter 1 about God who has come to be with us. What's even crazier is in that same chapter of the Christmas story, the same angel Gabriel goes to Mary. The way that the story sort of lays out, it feels very parallel to the story of Zechariah. She also is fearful. She also wonders how what has been told to her is going to come true. She is scared, but she is willing, and she says yes. They are all on a journey of belief. Could this really be true? Is God really going to come to us, to the people who walk in darkness? And that same question is the question we ask today. Is God coming to us? Can he do the same thing in our darkness as he did then? Zechariah is not the only cynic. Joseph was scared and ready to run. The shepherds were scared but joyful. The wise men were mystified. And even after Jesus grew up and began his earthly ministry and did miracles and was crucified and resurrected, still then, when he comes to his disciples, it says in Matthew chapter 28, some worshiped and some doubted. We are always, always on a journey to belief. And the Advent season starts by giving us an opportunity to ask, where am I right now? And what might this season bring? Advent for us can be a time to remember, to reflect, to re-engage with the greatest story ever told, not just for children, but for the child in each one of us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, said Isaiah, because God's passion would be for his people, for you and for me, that we would know him, that we would know freedom from the enslaving ways of the world, that we would know peace and joy because of the love poured out for each one of us, a love that says, I will not just be your God, I will come and be with you. I will be for you. I've always wondered why Jesus didn't appear like riding on angels' backs. Why didn't he appear in a heavenly chariot fueled by the sun? Why didn't he ride in on a star? Why didn't he declare his majesty and might upon entrance to the earth? Why, as the prophet Isaiah said to us, did the light dawn on us rather than explode on us like fireworks in the night sky? Maybe he came as a baby to a broken down stable to an ordinary mom who'd been through a very uncomfortable journey Maybe he came to unexpected lodging and an unusual crib to make a very important point about him and about us and about light and about dark. Let's go back to the Polar Express and see how it ends. Our characters have been on this journey of belief. It has been a wild and exhilarating and sometimes scary and dark journey. 
And as the Polar Express approaches the North Pole, those who believe can hear the bells on Santa's sleigh. Those who believe, the children in the train who believe, they are full of joy and wonder and excitement about seeing Santa. But still, even there, our hero boy cannot hear the bell until this. Was that you said? I believe. I believe. I, I believe. This is yours. Wow. Thank you. man patience and a smidgen of humility might also serve you well yes sir and you young lady lady of decision full of confidence and spirit christmas spirit <laughs> keep up the good work you made some new friends? Yes, sir. I sure have. It's a lucky lad. It's no greater gift than friendship. And speaking of gifts... Let's have this young fellow right here. I'll let you watch the rest of the movie with your popcorn. You can find out what happens. But as we land this idea of where we are on our journey to belief, where these kids were, they represent these journeys that they all take, and each of them has a challenge that is given as they leave the North Pole. They're right here on this graph. What every child got was a ticket when they got on the Polar Express, and as they get back on to ride home, their ticket is punched out, and each punch has a word. Our hero girl, full of confidence, is given the admonition to lead. 
If you resonate with the hero girl, let your light keep shining brightly in this season. Don't hesitate, don't falter because of others' doubt. They need you to be exactly who you are. You, as Santa says, has the Christmas spirit in you. If you resonate with Billy, he got a ticket that kept flipping. Every time it flipped, it changed. It said, depend on, rely on, count on. Billy learns to find courage through accepting the love of others. Sometimes when we don't have enough faith or belief of our own, we can rely on those around us to hold us up when we falter. Finally, our hero boy gets his ticket and it says, believe. This is for the know-it-all, by the way. I didn't talk about him, but his ticket said learn. You can listen, you, you guys, you can write that part of the sermon for yourselves later. <laughs> As we conclude today, I was at a Christmas Eve service once a few years ago, and I was chatting with a nine-year-old named Madison who was helping with the service. She told me everything she knew about the Christmas story from her kid's Bible, and then I asked her about the shepherds. And she couldn't remember if the shepherds were the ones who brought Jesus gifts or not, so we cleared up that little theological point. And then I asked her, Madison, if Jesus came today, who would the angels come to? Who would be shepherds today? And without faltering, she looked at me and smiled and said they would come to me. What if today is the first day of a renewed journey of belief for you? What if you took time this month at some point to look at Christmas lights or take a walk in the night or pray a simple prayer in the dark? Because darkness is where we remember that we are smaller and weaker than we think. And darkness is when our true needs become bigger, the need we actually have for a counselor, a father, a powerful God, a prince of peace. Jesus made it really clear why he came to earth and what he came to do. He is the light bearer. I am the light of the world, he said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Maybe the journey of belief is the most important journey you can take. And maybe the Advent season is an invitation for all of us to remember and respond to that great invitation of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who meets us wherever we are on the journey. Would you give us hearts like little children? Would you help us to step into what you invite us to do, to, to change and become like little kids? Would you help us see the wonder and the joy and the belief of this season as not something for anyone else, but something for us, something that you have given to each and every one of us through Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.